Welcome to the Unlocking Athletic Potential podcast with Ian and Johnny. Discussing our passions of sport, OCR, running, and fitness to help you perfect your craft. When you find your passion, how far are you prepared to take it? Well, our guest today found a love for OCR from a chance meeting with a client in his corporate job and then embarked on a worldwide tour of Spartan races. In the process, he cut his PB for 5K from 36 to 18 minutes. He then quit his high-flying job to become a full-time coach to help others unlock their true athletic potential. Now, George Cruz's interview has a bit of something all of us can relate to. And if you like what you hear, hit us up on Instagram, share with your friends, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let's get on with the show. Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of Unlocking Athletic Potential. This is our 11th episode. I am your co-host, Johnny Tew, and we have Ian Beath. Yo, what's up, guys? And for this episode, we have a lot in store for you guys. It's going to be a good conversation with a good friend of ours. But to get it started, we've often said that one of the key to unlock your athletic potential is to find a sport that you are passionate about. Our guest today found his passion in sports of OCR and running and now has embraced his passion with full enthusiasm. Absolutely. Yeah. After chatting to another fellow OCR elite and pro competitor, Halvard Balstrom, who we must get on the show very soon. He entered his first OCR race with a friend whilst living in the Middle East and was instantly hooked. He then started a world tour of OCR, flying from the Middle East to the UK, to Thailand, to Singapore, to Philippines, to Malaysia, competing in the SEA series where he finished fourth overall. And along the way, grabbed a couple of elite podiums, including a first place in a team race with a couple of guys called Ian Deef and Chris Davis. Now, He then took it one step further by quitting his high-flying job with Tesla to become an OCR and running coach, helping others be the very best that they can be. Now, when we started Unlocking Athletic Potential, this was one of the first guests we wanted to get on the show because he truly embraces pursuing your passions, which, as Johnny said, is the key, really, to starting your journey to unlocking your athletic potential. So we're very blessed to have none other than George Crew in the house. George, how are you doing? Awesome, guys. Awesome. Thanks for that really, really nice introduction. <laughs> I wasn't expecting hey. that. <laughs> oh, we, we, we feel blessed to have you on, buddy, because we don't know anybody that wants to pursue their passion with the amount of enthusiasm that you do, man. It's awesome and infectious as well, man. So we're very blessed to have you on. So we've got to hear how this journey started, man. Where were you when this kicked off? What was your fitness levels like? And then why did OCR just grab you so passionately? We need we need, we need all secrets and everything. <laughs> well, I, to be honest, I moved to Dubai with a really, really poor lifestyle. Like I moved here from the UK and I, I didn't have a very good lifestyle in the UK. I was typical Brit, to be honest. Social drinker, didn't really care about my health or fitness. Played football, but like Sunday league. Moved over here and just continued that. But I don't know if you know, if you've ever been out here, if you've ever done something, this activity at weekends called brunch but it's not very active (laughs) apart from lifting up a pint of beer and eating loads of food. So I uh, took that sport up for a while, put on some more weight and got even more unfit. And then, uh, yeah, I was working at BMW at the time and Hulvard Hulvard walked across the showroom. We kind of made eye contact. It was kind of like, I need to be talking to this guy, but I don't know why, but we should be talking. And then we got chatting. He sat down at my desk and found out he was like an ex-Dubai athlete, does all these like obstacle races. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Tell me more. And he actually gave me a couple of free race tickets to a Spartan race, which I didn't know really what it was. And so I got my, I dragged my mate in and we went to the middle of the desert in the middle of the day, which is the most stupid time to, to book. 
and yeah, we did a, a Spartan sprint, which I thought was insane. We were running through the sand dunes and stuff. Middle of the day, like, I, I know Ian's been out here. I don't know if you've been out here, Johnny, but it's middle of the day at any time of the year. It gets hot, especially when you're in the desert. So yeah, I don't know why, really, but I fell in love with it. And I, I absolutely hated that race. But I also, people ask me, what is your favorite race? And I, I actually think that was probably my favorite race because it changed my life um, and got me involved like fully into it. So yeah. That's how it all started. What, what year was that, George? That was 2016, end of 2016 okay. in November. What yeah. was your first thought when you crossed that line besides hating it? Oh, well, when, when we crossed the finish line, we're crossing the start line. We're like, yeah, it's only 5K, like, like everyone does with the Spartan Sprint. I've run 5K before. And then we've got to cross the finish line. It's like, I'm so glad that's over. Obviously, then we just got on the website and start checking it out, looking what other races we can do. And obviously, I've got a, a sidekick like my mate was doing it with me, and he's just as crazy and wants to do all these other things. Crossing that line was like, thank God that's over. So you're working for Tesla at this stage, or no, BMW initially at this stage? Yeah, so I was working at BMW as a service advisor, like corporate job, pen pusher, sat at a desk, working on a laptop all day. And yeah, like a whole bunch walked across. And we just got chatting and it was like a really, you get like a 15 minute time slot with your customers. Now he wasn't even my customer and he sat down and we were talking for like an hour, maybe up to two hours. I don't know. I can't remember how long it was, but way longer than I was allowed to. And I, I could see supervisors, like I could feel them looking at me. I don't know. I just wanted to chat with him more because what he did was like super interesting. Obviously I went home, found him on Instagram, didn't have a clue what X Dubai was and realized he's some X Dubai athlete. So I started doing my research and found out this guy's actually quite a big deal when it comes to uh, obstacle racing. Yeah, so just to let you guys know, X Dubai is a huge brand out in the Middle East and they sponsor some of the premier athletes out there from obstacle racers to really more in the extreme sports range of athletes. Yeah, and mountain biking, like even snowboarders. We don't have snow here, but they sponsor snowboarders. So for those of you guys that don't know, uh, George mentioned Halvard. Halvard is an uh, awesome athlete from the Middle East, Norwegian originally. Hopefully we can get it on some other time. But we met him through a couple of our races within Asia. Awesome athlete. And same thing when George met him, probably saw this athletic figure and awesome guy started that conversation, right? Exactly. So, so George, you suddenly clicked. You found a passion that you'd never found before. You've just described you weren't probably in your best ever shape. What were the next steps moving forward to get you in some sort of shape to compete in your next race so you could be that little bit better? To be honest, I just got myself running. Like I, I realized very quickly that the majority of an obstacle race is running, right? So I just started to get fit. I would run probably like every other day, but it wasn't far. It was like 30 minutes. I used to live in the marina in Dubai and I'd run from one end of the marina to the other. I'm sure it, it wasn't even 5K. It would take me like 36 minutes. I was actually explaining to my housemate the other day, I'd be holding myself up in the shower 20 minutes after. This is doing a 36 minute 5K. I'm literally holding myself up. Can't stop sweating. Can't really catch my breath. Like just so out of shape and so unhealthy. And I guess like it was just that kick up the ass that I needed really. Like I realized this is really bad. Like I've just gone for a run. I used to think 5K was a long distance. I guess wanting to roll around in mud and climb on things, swing across things, it just really appealed to me. I researched it more. It's quite a new sport as well. So it really appealed to me. And I thought, I don't know. I never thought I could get to an elite level, to be honest. I used to look at the elites and like, I'd be like, that's awesome. Like that's in insane. And then... I don't know, I just worked and worked and worked and just was consistent with training. So Hulvard, he used to train with a guy, I don't know if you heard of Leaderboard, Leaderboard Fit. Yes, we, we know Leaderboard Fit. 
So just to explain to our our listeners, uh, Leaderboard Fitness is an online platform that is based in the States. We've mentioned Bracken Cracker's name a few times, who does a brilliant podcast called The Running Public, which is definitely worth checking out. He was one of the kind of pioneers and main coaches as part of uh, Leaderboard Fit. And so that's what George is referring to there. I stalked the hell out of Hulvard and was like, how does this guy get so good? What does he do? I didn't know his background. Like he's actually an ex-like cross-country skier. So he's got a massive engine that... Yeah, so I stalked him quite a lot. I did my research on him and found out like, who he's training with. And I just bit the bullet and was like, well, I'll just do the same then. So I did. And then I, that's how I kind of kick-started my fitness journey with OCR. I just started following this online generic kind of platform with Leaderboard Fit, which is all Hulvard did. And I did see a big improvement. I just took it out for maybe like six months, I think, and saw some good improvements. It's very easy to continue when you see yourself getting better. Uh, when you see improvements, it's way easier. When you don't see improvements, like you always want to switch it up and change things. So... Yeah, things were getting better and I just got addicted to it and booked every single race on the planet that I could see. Um, we have a thing out here called Premier Online, which is where you book your races, apart from Spartan. That's obviously through Spartan's website. But yeah, I just booked every single race I could. I was doing like back-to-back races like on weekends. Some days I was doing two races in a day, like morning and evening. Sometimes if you could, we'd look at like the timing and like, can we fit three races in on this day? This wasn't Spartan races. This was like, can I do a 10K race in the morning? Then go into Ski Dubai and do the obstacle race there. And then there's a trail race in the evening, like a night race. Can we do it? And we did. Like, I used to drag all my mates involved in this. Well. I just changed my circle of friends as well. Like, I just found the guys that wanted to do that sort of stuff and started hanging around with them more. Stopped hanging around with the guys that just wanted to go out drinking and brunching all the time. How was that transition? Was that tough? Or did you just find because you'd now found a new passion, it was kind of just all flowed and everything was kind of working out well for you? When I look back, it probably feels like it was easy, but I don't think it was because I think that first year, especially when I was on like leaderboard, I had that habit of, like obviously my circle of friends, my closest friends were the brunchers, the guys who went out drinking and stuff. And they're always like, are we brunching this weekend? And I would end up just falling back into that rhythm of, oh, it's the weekend. I've been training my ass off all week. Oh, it's the, it's the weekend. It's brunch time. And, and it was just that bad lifestyle. I think the first summer that I went through while I was on leaderboard fit, I did exactly that. And yeah, I did see improvements, but probably not the improvements that I could have if I would have just like hit the nail on the head, stop drinking, stop eating crap food and just like completely switch like you see some people do. So I think that first year, it wasn't probably wasn't as easy as it could have been, like with regards to getting better. I think after a while, I realized like I could be better and I'm improving. If I stop that, I can improve faster and I can get better and then start to actually maybe compete at the sport. So yeah, it, it got it got easier as, as I realized like like the potential to do it. So, What was the part of OCR that got you hooked? Was it the fact that it's so different to anything else out there? Was it the obstacle element? Was it the switch between obstacles and runnings? What was the bit that was really capturing your passion? Yeah, I think the fact that it's it's fun, you know, like, and, uh, yeah, it's easy to say it's fun, but it's it breaks up the running. Like I did cross country as a kid. So I was kind of like sporty at school. And then I went to, when you turn like 15, 16, I got a moped, then you get a car and then you start going out with your mates. So that was when my healthy lifestyle started when around 16, 17. But before that, I always did like cross country. I actually ran my first marathon at 13 years old. Like I did, oh, wow. uh, yeah, I did, I did a marathon at 13, 14 and 15. It was like a local marathon. And me and my mates back home, we were always into like running for some reason. I don't even know why. Like I was that weirdo at school that ran the 3K and that was the long distance. Then, yeah. So I always had that like interest in running. It was a little bit boring for me. So yeah, when you can split it up with like swinging across monkey bars and throwing yourself through mud and doing swims and carrying stuff, like it, I just broke it up and made it way more interesting and way more fun. And I'm not exactly like you two have obviously met me. I'm not a small guy. I'm nearly six foot three. So I'm not the sort of guy that can be fast and nimble through these things, but it was a nice little challenge. So yeah, I think that's the thing that interested me the most about OCR. It's just way more fun than running. 
So then all these different races, were they all within your first year of transitioning from one lifestyle to an active lifestyle, right? Was it with the first year? Or how's that, what, what's the timeline of this? So actually, this Spartan race that Horvath gave me the ticket for wasn't my first obstacle race. I was already interested in obstacle racing, but I didn't know what Spartan race was. And uh, they have a race out here called Desert Warrior Challenge. Someone told me about it and I was pretty like, oh, this is cool. Me and my girlfriend at the time and two friends just booked it and we said we'd do it together. And it was a 10K race. I don't know how many obstacles, probably like 20, 25 obstacles. I absolutely hated it. I got so sunburned. <laughs> like, obviously, again, middle of the desert. Couldn't do any of the obstacles, especially the overhead ones, things like monkey bars. I couldn't climb a rope. They had this weird, like, it was monkey bars, but it was a cargo net. So it was like a flat cargo net at the top but then you had to hold onto the netting to swing across it. It was really difficult. It just ripped my hands to shreds. But anyway, I couldn't do that. So yeah, that was my first one. That was in October. So I think that's why I started to like get the radars out for like obstacle racing. And that's why I looked at Hulvard in the showroom and was like, this guy looks like someone I should be chatting to. And obviously from there, that's why I started Spartan. Yeah, then that was it, I think, for that year. I just did, I did Desert Warrior in October. I did Spartan Brint in the middle of the desert in November. And then it went, came Christmas, came brunches, came the bad food, and it all came back again. Like, if you guys need a photo, I can send you the photo from my first Spartan race. You can just see me blowing out my ass, carrying a sandbag on my shoulder, going up a sand dune. I don't think you can see my feet. It's like shin deep sand. I just look so bad on it. Yeah, but then from there, I think 2017, it was like me and my mate Pete, Pete Goodwin, he's a, he's a bit of a nut job, likes to do extreme long distance sports, but he... He was like, let's find another one, let's find another one. And, and Spartan Arabia launched Abu Dhabi race, which was at some golf course. And we thought we were crazy. So we booked two races in one day. We couldn't believe it. We were doing a super and a sprint in one day. And we let everyone know about it because we were absolute madmen. Uh, <laughs> and they were both open, <laughs> open heat, like not competitive. And we just thought we were crazy because we completed two obstacle races in a day. And yet I think that was the year of like discovering OCR, 2017, really, that discovering it more, learning obstacles, working on them. I remember there was obstacles like the multi-rig and monkey bars and like I say rope climb. All the basic obstacles really I should be able to do and I couldn't do them. And do you know Connor Hancock? You've probably heard of Connor Hancock. I've raised him a couple of times, know who yeah. he is. Yeah. Was, yeah. So for the listeners out there, it was one of the premier OCR racers from the UK. If you were to rate probably the best UK obstacle racers ever, you'd probably put John Albin, well probably, you'd definitely put John Albin as number one. And then I would say Connor Hancock's probably yeah. the second best we've ever had. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so yeah. the reason I mentioned him is because I was scrolling around, uh, me and my girlfriend at the time, she was looking on Instagram and I was desperate to try a multi-rig. Like I say multi-rig, it wasn't multi, it was just the rings, but I couldn't do it. And they had it at this Desert Warrior race and it was like my nemesis. I was desperate to try it and we came across this guy swinging around on a multi-rig in the UK and we were flying back to the UK and um, you know on Instagram where you can tag the location? So Connor Hancock tags this location and it's a place called The Obstacle Park. So we're like, where the hell's that? We look, it's 20 minutes up the road from where I live. And I never knew it was there. I never knew it was there. So obviously when we went back, we went there and we practiced all the obstacles and I taught myself how to do the multi-rig. So yeah, like I say, 2017 was just a year of discovering, like discovering what obstacles I couldn't do, what I could do, and then what I needed to work on. And then it all unfolded from there and I just started traveling and racing everywhere. When did you, yeah, when did you start going international? Because we met you, say what, 2018, I guess, right? It's a funny story how I met you guys. So I don't know if you was at the race in Singapore, Johnny. I know Ian definitely was. I think that was the day where there was two races, right? Yeah. It was, yeah, I was in Sentosa. I think you yeah, were somewhere yeah, no. in maybe Hong Kong or Taiwan or somewhere. Yeah, there was a different race the same day, yeah. Yeah, so so what happened was I had this race on my radar. I wanted to go to Singapore, never been to Singapore. So I had it on my radar. This is when I was working at Tesla. My manager was pretty chill. He used to let me just take time off whenever. I was looking at the race and I knew that it said like cut off at 12 p.m. tonight. 
So obviously I had to convert it to Dubai time. So I had to figure out how long have I got to book this race if I'm going to do it. And it was like last minute. So I'm sat there and my girlfriend's like, if you want to go, just go. And I was like, fine. But she was pissed. Like she didn't want me to go. <laughs> I just booked the race. I didn't even book a hotel. I didn't tell you this, Ian, but I didn't even have a hotel in Singapore sorted. So I booked the race, then called my manager and said, can I have an extended weekend? I need some days off because I really want to do this race, knowing that if he doesn't let me, I'm just not going to show up anyway because I'm going to this race. I've just booked it. Then I booked my flight through a friend who works for Emirates. And then I landed in Singapore and was like, right, I best have a look at booking.com and find out where I'm going to stay. <laughs> so I did that. Uh, met Hulvard the day before, knowing that he was there as well, made me want to go. And then all of a sudden, I didn't realize I was entered into this thing called a SEA series. And I didn't have a clue what that was either. <laughs> <laughs> the Southeast Asia series for all those listeners. Yeah, I do know what it is now, but I think I finished seventh in that race somehow. I think it was just through having a clean race. A lot of people were failing obstacles. And then I got yeah, back were. to Dubai, saw that I was in some leaderboard and I was like top 10 in this leaderboard on this SEA series. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is it? So I started to look into it. I was like, oh, there's four more. So where are these? And I just got drawn into it because I was in this like top 10. I was like drawn in and I was like, okay, well, I've got to do the next one. I'll just do the next one. And then ended up doing the next one. And before you know, I did the whole series. <laughs> so flying continuously from Dubai, yeah. backwards and forwards to places like the Philippines, to Malaysia, to Singapore, to Thailand. And some of these locations, that Philippines location, just to put it out there, you had to fly possibly from Manila to Cebu. And then it was about three and a half hours in a yeah. Yeah. van to the middle of nowhere for that, that Philippines I race. Nice we had that typhoon. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. there were two races in the Philippines, but the, the yeah. first one, I think, was the yeah, Foresta yeah. Trails. Foresta Trails, and you literally had to walk, like, 20 minutes just to get to the start line, and you couldn't yeah, take a crazy. car. Yeah, I was knackered by the time I got to the start line. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant race. So, full-on international, and, and during that time as well, I believe you got your first couple of elite podiums as well, George. Yeah, the, my first elite podium was with you, Ian. You and uh, Chris. It was when we did that Malaysia race. Oh, that's a funny story as well. I can tell you about that now. So what happened was we did the super, which was part of this, uh, the C series. Didn't do too great. I think I finished like 12th or something, but I was happy to pick up some points for the series just to see how that went. I had a flight. I had to get on the plane like a few hours later. I can't remember the timings, but Ian was telling me there's a team race that started at three o'clock and they need a British guy in the team. So he's nagging me and nagging me. And Chris Davies is also saying, come on, let's do it. And I'm like, guys, I can't miss my flight. I've got work tomorrow. I'm going to be back at Tesla. But anyway, I had, all my stuff was in the hotel, which was like half an hour up the road. The race was already done. And all I remember was like, you know, what I was thinking, I said to Ian, I said, if we win, I'm only doing it. If we win, I get to keep the trophy. Because my goal back then was like, all I wanted was a Spartan plaque. And Ian was like, yeah, fine, you can keep the trophy. If we win, you can keep the trophy. And I was like, right, we're winning this because I want that trophy. <laughs> I had to leave the race venue, go back to my hotel, get my suitcase, bring my suitcase through the, the race venue, just leave it behind some table, warm up, do a little warm up. We did some strategy with Ian and, and Chris with like, who's going to throw what? Because there was loads of rules then. Weren't you? you had to keep the same lane on the rope climb and the, take the same spear and all, I think. But anyway, and then we smashed the race. I went out all guns blazing like hard because I just wanted to beat those Malaysians. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, and then we won and I couldn't even stay for the podium because I had to just... I remember finishing, collapsing, someone poured water on me. I got up, went to the shower, grabbed my bags, and off I went to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> it was an epic race. I've, I've got to say, it was probably one of the most fun I've ever had yeah. during a race, even though we had to really push it because obviously there were a couple of strong athletes in that Malaysian team as well. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah. They entered the kind of final gauntlet of obstacles mm. at the same time as us. But yeah, it was brilliant. And then I think I met up with you in the final race of the series, handed you the trophy, and it was like bang. Yeah. And then yeah, a couple yeah. of others followed in, I guess then in 2019. Your first yeah, other so, yeah, that was my first like, elite podium, which was obviously team with you guys. And then yeah, I did I think it was my first race of 2019. We rocked up to Bahrain for a stadium race. I'd been to Poland in I think it was in 2018. I just randomly went over to Poland on my own, saw this race. And I was heading to the UK anyway. I thought, why not stop off at Poland and, and do this race on the way and then nip over to the UK. So I just tied that in. I really like stadium races. I, I don't know, something really appealed about them to me. So Spartan Arabia were launching this one at the Bahrain National Stadium. And I thought, oh, this is going to be epic. Got there, sandstorm the night before. So the course had been completely wiped out, all the course markings and things. So I got there. I wasn't expecting anything. I didn't go in expecting, like, I didn't even feel like I was at the level of fitness to, to even get on a podium. And I went out in that race, felt so good. But I think it was because I had no expectations for myself. I, I remember getting to the Hurtkoist and there was Hovard. <laughs> and then yep. a guy called Mohamed Hassani who was quite an elite runner out here. And now he's got into OCR. And me, Hovard and him all arrived at the Hurtkoist at, at the same time. And obviously I'm probably twice the size of Mohamed or probably three times the size of Mohamed and twice the size of Hovard. And I ripped this Hurtkoist up and let it down super quick. And by the time I put mine down, they're still going up. And I was like, damn. And I went into the lead. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, we, off we went and we did, I did the Atlas carry and all that. And I remember putting the Atlas stone, this is back when you had to do burpees. And I put the Atlas stone down. And as I put it down, Hulwad was only just coming in. And I thought to myself, I can win this race. Like, and I couldn't believe it. Like, I'm looking, I, wanted, I wasn't even trying to win this race. I was just coming to run the race. And off I went. And I think that was the bad thing to think. Like when I thought to myself, I can win this race. I think I just got a bit like sidetracked. I ended up missing a U-turn, running straight ahead and just kept running straight. Thomas Blanc said, George, George, shouting, waving his arms around. And I'm like, I'm deaf in one ear, so I can't hear the hell what he's saying. And then all of a sudden I see Hulbard in the distance make this U-turn. Then this Mohammed Al-Hassani make this U-turn. My soul sunk and I had to play catch up and I fell into third position and I, I never, I couldn't get back uh, at any places. So I ended up finishing third. But it was my first elite podium, so I was super happy. But I was also gutted because actually it, it should have been a win because I was... I had a really good lead. But yeah, that was my first one. Then I went over to Saudi in August, which was probably, even though it was only a sprint, it was probably one of the hardest races I've ever done, purely because it was at altitude. The race venue was around 2,500, 2,600 meters. So you could feel the altitude. There wasn't loads of elevation, but you felt it anyway. And obviously it's a sprint, so you're running fast. I crossed that finish line, I could not breathe. Like I thought I was gonna pass out. And yeah, that was my second. And then that was it. I've only done two solo podiums, which are both third place. And then obviously the team one. But yeah, you say I, only, George. I think people dream of getting a Spartan podium, a lot of people out there. So it's a pretty awesome achievement. And even in that first race where, you know, potentially there may have been more for you there. It sounds mm. like there were a hell of a lot of positives mm. to get from that race. You know, yeah. we're talking about a guy two years, three years earlier that was running 36 minutes mm. for 5K. And mm. what sort of times are you clocking now, George? I'm close to sub 18 5k so I basically cut it in half yeah. cut it in half which is inspirational mm. for anybody out there just reiterating that message that me and Johnny preach so often you can get fit and you can be a better version of yourself but the key the key to unlocking that potential is finding a passion and once you found that passion everything else just does fall into place there's mm. so many different forms of exercise out there may not be OCR maybe dance maybe a team sport maybe something else but once you find that it can be so exhilarating. And then the journey that follows is phenomenal. And I guess that journey starts with trying lots of different things. And luckily, however, I turned up that day, gave mm. you those tickets and boom, 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That is true. It's, it's not just because so many, I see so many people force themselves, especially out here in the Middle East, like especially maybe from a young age, like parents force their kids into a sport that they're actually not that interested in. But I think you hit the nail on the head there, like saying it needs to be your passion. And that I found OCR and it is my passion. And I, I have a massive support crew, like my family's super supportive with anything I do anyway. But you've got to be into it. If you're not into it, then you're not going to do that well. If you're fully into it, then you, you're going to commit the time and it just becomes a lifestyle. It isn't, doesn't become training. It just becomes your lifestyle, you know? Absolutely. You've changed from having that brunch squad all the way to having all these different competition experiences around the world. How has all these different parts also leached into other parts of your life? Like what has changed since then? Yeah, well, I, can't, I genuinely can't remember the last time I had a drink. Like I don't know when I had a drink. Like nutrition's completely changed. I think obviously with training, mindset's actually mindset's probably the biggest thing. Like I look at life completely different now. I moved out here with the mindset of I'll go out for a year, try it out, do whatever I want. Like, honestly, I did my first, I think maybe a year to two years here. I bought an expensive sports car. I did that whole Dubai lifestyle, went out on crazy nights out to, to swanky bars and like used to get like a, a pay for like a table and a bottle of vodka, which was 5,000 dirhams. And if in English, that's over a thousand pounds for a bottle of vodka to sit at a table on a, on a sofa. Like, what the hell is that all about? Now I look at that and I'm thinking like, what the hell was I doing? I look at people now who do that and I just think, it's not living. That isn't living. Uh, I feel like now I'm making the most of life doing what I do. So yeah, I think just everyday, everyday life as well. Like now I live, I've moved out more into the desert. I live in a villa, uh, whereas before I lived in the middle of the city, which was like party central. You'd hear people like out on the piss all the time, coming out of pubs and stuff. Whereas now I'm out. There's a, if I want to go desert running, I just hop over the fence and I've got sand dunes across there. I live two kilometers from a cycle track, which is 80K loop. Just jump on the bike and go and do that. Wow. <laughs> Our new gym where I work, that's 10 minutes door to door. So yeah, I've just completely like absorbed that whole, this is my life and I don't need to leave this bubble now unless I'm hopping on a plane somewhere to, to probably go and do something crazy like racing or climbing a mountain or something. So you had a job with Tesla hmm. and then suddenly you decided to take a career change. Yeah, I was working at Tesla, but in the background of Tesla, I'd, me and a bunch of friends had basically started something. It was just a group, basically. We, there, was, there was two races in the Middle East, Bahrain race and Oman. And it was like a week, one weekend or two weekends in between those races, which was free. So I reached out to this guy and said, do you want to get a load of people together? And why don't we just run like an obstacle training camp for them on the beach or something and see if anyone wants to turn up and do it? I was like, yeah, cool, let's do it. So we did, and we put this thing together, and we, we made a WhatsApp group, and we called it OCR Freaks. So that WhatsApp group was called OCR Freaks. And yeah, like people loved it. They turned up on this Friday morning, and they were like, oh, when's the next one? Can we do it next week? And so we did. And anyway, we ended up doing it every single weekend. And then off the back of that, we decided to go ahead and try and make a company. I've actually got a uh, – I know we're not on camera on the uh, on the podcast, but you guys can see the logo here. We've got yeah. it next to me. Yeah, yeah. It's just a battery battery pack to charge my phone. But So that's the company. We started that, and – we were going to make a go of it. And my goal, and it kind of still is, that I want to have out here in the Middle East, which kind of exists, but not as good as what I would like it to be. I want to run an obstacle park. I would like what, the, you know, I told you about the obstacle park that Connor Hancock was swinging around on in the UK. And it was 20 minutes up the road from where I live. So I'd like to build something like that out here, just a way better version. That's something that can help people like get better at racing purely for obstacle racing, because it is a young sport and it's growing. So that's my goal. And that's why I thought OCR Freaks had this potential. And yeah, we put loads of it into that. And I was basically building that on my lunch breaks uh, while I was working for Tesla. My lunch breaks were an hour. I used to often take two hours because my, my manager was pretty chilled. 
I'd sit in the cafe next door, just building the website and just doing as much of that as I could, really. I just wanted to to get this group together and, and teach people what I was learning, which was obstacle racing. Like I wasn't, I wasn't even um, like an elite racer but I, at that time, but I, I knew that I could help people get better at it because of the way I got better at it. And then, yeah, from there, I got the opportunity to come work for Innerfight. It's quite a reputable gym out here. We have, it's, a, it's actually a CrossFit box, but we have an endurance team. And uh, there was interest in me actually setting up an, an obstacle race inside of it, which was a pretty cool opportunity. So I, I basically jumped at the chance to do that. And, and now we've got a new gym that's going to be open in the next week or two. We're going to have, we've got obstacles in there. We've got like things like the beta wheel and we've got like a 20 handled monkey bars that's just gone in and all that. So yeah, opportunities are coming with, within a fight. And I've got some really cool stuff that I'm building right now that's going to be targeting people that are brand new to obstacle racing as well. So someone like how I was, who didn't have a clue, I want to be able to help those people. Because right now I coach people online. I can go into that as well. But I coach people online for obstacle racing and running. But there is no real like entry level kind of thing, like that basic super entry level, which I think a lot of people need. Like I know I needed it. Uh, and that was maybe why I went off the rails. Like I dropped in a bit, then I dropped out. But luckily I was so into it that I came back and continued doing it. Whereas some people don't. Some people go, oh, it's a bit too hard and they don't think they're up for it. So if I can find that area where I can help people do like a progressive build from being a, a complete non-runner, never done an obstacle race, can't do monkey bars, can't climb ropes, basically be exactly how I was. If I can find that area where I can help those people get into it, the sport grows. And once the sport grows, it grows for all of us. And then, you know what, we, we may get OCR in the Olympics and you know what it's like. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. This almost takes us back to episode two. So on episode two, we had none other than Chris Davis. I know you know Chris because you've mentioned yeah. him on the podcast because he was part of that winning team with myself yeah. out in that team race in Malaysia. And we talked about what makes a great coach. And the three of us, myself, Johnny and Chris, we said the number one thing that makes a great coach is someone that is passionate about what they do. I don't think there's anyone more passionate about this sport of OCI than yourself there, George. And the fact that you've been on this journey from a 36-minute 5Ker to halving that in time to being on this international journey of racing the UK, Southeast Asia, plus where you live in the Middle East is, is absolutely phenomenal. And, and no doubt you're inspiring many athletes out there. This brings us on to the next part of the conversation, which we're really intrigued with, because obviously Johnny's a coach as well. I'm an athlete, but we all have different ways that we like to plan our programs. For myself, I've tried to look at different tools, but I guess I'd call it old school where... Pen and paper. I have a pen and paper in a diary <laughs> to record my sessions and plan my sessions with a little bit of a use of a Google spreadsheet to uh, plan sort of my uh, short-term, medium, long-term goals with races, planning progression there. But I know you've tried to get me onto Training Peaks, which you love. And I'd mm. like to explain a little bit more about Training Peaks, why you think that's such a great tool. And then, Johnny, obviously, you can add to the conversation with the methods that you use and, and things that you use to coach your clients. Yeah, like, to be honest, I, I never knew what Training Peaks was before I joined Innerfight. Oh, no, sorry. I, just before I joined Innerfight, someone told me about Training Peaks. So I started to do the research and started to look into it, how it works. But basically, it's just an online platform. It's got an app as well. So it's really easy because you carry your phone around everywhere. It connects to your Garmin or any sort of decent sport watch that you've got. All the data, as soon as you finish, similar to like Strava, it jumps straight over. But yeah, you have your own athlete account. Your coach will oversee you. So like, for example, I have my team of athletes and I, everything they do on their Garmin comes straight through. So I can basically analyze all their data. With Training Peaks, if you was to look at, say, your Apple calendar on your phone, 
You can have a, view, a screen view on your laptop or if you turn your phone on the side, you have the same thing. And you could just really, really plan out someone's athletic journey, plan out their week basically. And I've got clients that use it as their weekly planner. They'll just full on put, I can see what they're up to. It's like taking the kids to school, doing this, doing that. I can see everything because <laughs> it's so user friendly. Uh, and not only that, as a coach, you can really go deep into analyzing everything. Like this garment here has got a temperature sensor on it. So obviously temperature out here and obviously in Asia as well, it's a big thing. If you're looking at someone's heart rate, if it's hot outside, you don't really want to be looking at heart rate that much because it's it's hot. I tell someone to go out for an aerobic or a math run, for example, and they they step outside and they're already at math heart rate because because it's so hot. So I can analyze all that data. You can see elevation. It's just so so user friendly. So yeah, like that's why I always swear by it. Like since I got introduced to it, Edify, and they taught me a lot more about it. They even have their own podcast. Uh, Training Peaks do. Uh, you can learn a lot from that as well. But it's just so detailed. So that's why I really like it. I don't know what you use, cool. Johnny. I've been on Training Peaks for a little bit too. Um, I'm currently using True Coach, so a different training platform. Uh, it's more for PT coaching and also endurance sports. But it's like with Training Peaks, uh, you can have the information set out when it's like you can receive more. If it, you're basically a runner, uh, a cyclist, or if you're doing triathlon, it's like type of endurance type sports where information is all tracked within your watch or giving you some sort of device to give you insight. That's really really useful. A lot of my clients are more uh, PT based side. So even though if I program, say, like uh, basic body movement, strength movements, I can have in that set of program, but the way they transfer its overs to their client base is a little different. And their results don't really matter as much. So it depends the type of clientele I guess you really have. If For me, training people would be great if all my clients are actually just endurance-based athletes. But because I have them on different sector, different types of programming, different types of modules and, and different disciplines, I think True Coach works well for me. But no, I still enjoy I've used Training Peak before and I do it like some of the, the interfaces they do and the things they have with it. Interesting. I know both of those programs. I just, I feel like I've got a growth mindset. I, I feel yeah, like... Right. Uh, but with these, with these programs, yeah. right? Like a lot of it, like, because we're using it as a coaching tool for our clients, but like as yourself, as a self tracker, you could be a tra training peak using it as a self tracker, but true coach, you wouldn't use it as a self tracker. I wouldn't go on it for my own programming on my own if I don't have clients on it, just because there's other options that you can program uh, easily for yourself to keep track and keep yourself accountable and see yourself in a long time frame. I feel as an athlete, obviously, if I was being coached by one of you guys, I can see the benefits of it, and obviously, I'd get on board. But as an athlete, I kind of stay away from other people's data. I just feel sometimes it can be a little bit dangerous, things like Strava, and I keep my Garmin Connect data private because, don't, don't get me wrong, I do, you know, I have seen other people's data now. And again, I am intrigued to know what other people do, but I guess it's more coaching conversations and athlete conversations where, oh, you did this session, why? Oh, that sounds interesting, okay, and get ideas. But I know some people, it can be quite dangerous where they, I say it can be dangerous because, George, you've gone back to it and actually it helped you on your initial journey. You looked at Halvard and you're like, what's this guy up to? Mm. Okay. From a starting point, actually, it's a great place to get ideas. Yeah. So initially, it may be a fantastic idea to actually go to it and a fantastic resource to mm. pull ideas from. But later on, once you are a bit more informed and, and you're trying to take it to the next level, it can be a little bit dangerous. But I think what you guys are doing are great there. And I think we said about uh, like... It's, I totally agree, by the way. I keep my Strava private, like no one sees what I'm doing apart from me. Because uh, I think people can get caught up in other people's business as well. And they think what, like, as we know, as coaches, what works for one person might not work for another person. But some people think if that person's winning, I need to do what that person's doing. Or if that person's wearing those shoes, I need to wear those shoes. And that's not the case. So we're, we're more like wise to that now. But like you say, for the first timer, they don't know that. So obviously one thing on training piece, you can't see anybody else's stuff, only like Strava if they have it open to public. 
uh, the only person that would be able to see your training peaks would be your coach but you can also use it uh, as an athlete account as well just that you i think you could set yourself a free basic athlete account up track like training and things uh, you may have to upgrade it to be able to plan your training i guess but there's a lot of even training peaks has like courses on there like for example i could build an obstacle like an ocr course 12 week plan and put it into training peaks and they would sell it out to everyone and they would take a percentage and I would take a percentage. So they, they offer things like that as well, but it's obviously very generic. I think with that self, the same with the social aspect of, of coaching or just training or logging in your, your own statistics and have allowing other people to see it. I think it goes a long way with like, so, like Instagram or social media, like Facebook, right? Like there's certain things that people seeing a photo of you doing one thing, it sounds great and everything, but what is the actual message behind it? Is it Photoshopped in a certain way or is it trying to share a message that's not falsely not really identifying who you are. Same thing with your own running, right? Like it's so personalized just because you post a 5K run showing a certain time, what were you doing? Like to that, for me that day could be an easy walk in the park. Like I was walking around, but someone be like, oh, what is that person really doing? Or say you're doing an OCR, you know, bucket carry or something, running around a circle and that you're 5K some ridiculously slow time. We're like, oh, this person's really slow. What are they really doing? Like they don't know that. These are things you keep to yourself, right? But we do see the fun part of the social, uh, social aspect of Strava. Like when you're doing group events, group uh, challenges, or just seeing your friends, what they're doing, giving that sense of motivation. It's like, oh, he's out there running. Maybe I should go run out today. Like taking certain bits and pieces of it are great. But I do agree with what you said too. Like my Strava account's open. I've had had some people apparently tell me that why am I trying to hide my data uh, or upload it late? I've heard these from different people, so it's kind of weird because what I do my watch is that I don't plug it in into my computer until end of the week when I or whenever I need to charge the battery. And because of that, people think I'm hiding my data and information in some, until like some sort of end of the week or something like that. Because normally, most people just immediately has their watch synced to their phone or computer constantly updating information. I actually don't do that because I hate having notifications on my, on my watch. So I don't plug it in until I need to charge my phone or, or char- if I need to charge my watch. So until then, then it upload the information and then you'll mm-hmm. see all the data. And it's, that's, that's where certain people, they say, hey, you're hiding information. Like, guys, why are you reading into my data that much that you care that I'm uploading later or not? Like, I'm trying to hide something from you guys or something like that. See, that's uh, the part so where he said it could be dangerous. That's the yep. dangerous side of it. That's exactly yeah. it. People and are I, like, where, where, he's out running, but I haven't, they'll be waiting to see it. I see it here all the time. <laughs> yeah, What's like, Johnny doing? What's Johnny doing? Those are, those are interesting things. But yeah, but with like other training information, the most important thing is, conversation right it's if you're using a motivating factor to chat with friends and having fun with individuals that's great but if you're using someone else's training program and then trying to imitate it for your own that can be a very tricky situation and i'm sure all of you guys have seen that too through different experiences yeah i actually it's funny that just reminded me i went to i think it was a year ago i I did a track session and i posted it on my instagram and then i took some clients to the track the following day I bumped into a guy. I don't, he's probably going to listen to this podcast as well because he's into us. I'm not going to mention who he is. I bumped into him at the track. I was like, hey, how you doing? What session are you doing? He told me the session. It was the session I did the day before, the exact <laughs> same. And I just thought, I did that yesterday. <laughs> he just copied it. He just copied it. He, don't, he doesn't know why I did it, but he copied it. He did exactly the same session. I'll never forget that. <laughs> Why not? And he may have been in those formative stages as well, George, where he's looking for that inspiration. And it's awesome that you provided that for him, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. George, we're going to go into a few quick bites. So this is kind of a quick fire, but if you want to expand on the answer a little bit, it's yeah. all good on our side. So on this journey, what's been your biggest learning experience? Learning, I would say learning about myself, what I'm capable of, I'd say, what I'm actually capable of. Like I didn't think I was capable 
when I was running 36 minute 5k, I didn't think I was capable of making an elite podium. So I'd say, yeah, learning that I'm capable of whatever I set my mind to. Superb. In terms of footwear, what's your best OCR footwear and what's your best running footwear that you've got? I've been wearing VJs for a while. I used to wear the IROX and then the XTRM came out, the Extremes, started wearing them. Uh, I would say my favorite obstacle racing shoe is the Extremes, the XTRMs. Cool. And then for running, if you're going to go into a 10K, what, what would you wear? I've not done a 10K for a while, but I obviously work for Adidas. <laughs> so yep. I, uh, I wear Adidas, which I do, to be fair. I actually have a pair of on running cloud flows which i find super comfy right now because i've been fighting a foot injury they would be my shoe that i would wear but my actual favorite race shoe is the adi adidas adi zero adios super yep. light no just feel like a fast shoe cool most inspirational book or film that you'd recommend or both book would be i really like uh what's it called you you read it the other day and you, you posted it Endure by Alex End, Hutchinson. Yeah, Endure, Alex, Alex Hutchinson. Such a good book. And you it's can amazing. learn so much from it. Yeah, such a good it's book. phenomenal. Movie or documentary. I would say something like probably Dawn Wall or Free Solo. Uh, maybe Free Solo just because like, Alex Honnold just doesn't care about anyone else. All he cares about is doing this climb and Free Solo in this climb. And it just shows like, talking about being consistent and committing things like he commits his whole life to it. Like he could have died literally on camera and he didn't care. Like you've obviously seen it where he's, he's saying free soloing is, is more important than his, his girlfriend and things like that. So yeah, I think free solo, it just shows like how committed are you to the sport to be that good at something you need to like commit a lot. So yeah, yeah I'd say I that maybe. Great choices there. I get the two films, the dawn wall and free solo mixed up because I watched them on the same day. So they merge into one for me. But I just found it really interesting. I think it's Free Solo where he started getting in the relationship. And that's when the injuries started happening, yes, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. You, yeah. I remember you told me about that. You were the one who told me to watch Dawn Wall and you said you need to watch it. It's so good. So I watched it. I was like, that's good. And you also said watch Free Solo. But I, I couldn't because it's, it's not like available on Netflix or anything. And eventually I managed to like find it somewhere to download it. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, you're right. Like. <laughs> gets his girlfriend and then she basically drops him and he sprains his ankle. So maybe a, a good uh, tip for fulfilling your athletic potential is don't get in a relationship. Stay single. <laughs> if you want to go free solo climbing anyway. Yeah. What's your plans for the future, George? Where's this OCR journey going to continue to take you, mate? Where do you think you can go? What's your plans? Well, yeah, like I said, I want to build like, as a coach. I want to, I want to, yeah, like obviously keep my client base growing and in a fight OCR, which is what I run. I want that to be growing. We've just taken on another uh, a coach as well that will be working with me a little bit with OCR. So yeah, I want that to grow from like a from a work perspective. Uh, as an athlete, obviously, I want to take part in races a lot more. My favorite, as I said earlier, my favorite races are stadiums. So I want to I want to try and focus quite a lot on them which doesn't really align with the races that I've got coming up because we have no Spartan races to look forward to at the moment. Uh, I got invited into an adventure race next year, which is in Croatia. So obviously I said, yes. So I'm doing that in May next year. Obstacle racing. I don't know if you saw, I posted it recently on Instagram, but we, uh, one of my crazy clients decided to book the world's highest obstacle race, which is happening on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Now I had a chat with the race director of that company the other day and we're taking 10, we're taking 10 people. There's only 60 people allowed to participate and I'm taking 10, which is pretty cool. So we're gonna climb up Kilimanjaro and, and, and do an obstacle race in the crater, like nearly 6,000 meters above us. What is incredible? Oh, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's going to be cool. That's going to be September um, next year. It's supposed to be September this year, but obviously with, with the coronavirus, it obviously got postponed. Uh, but yeah, we're going for that next year. And keep an eye out because that's, apparently that's not going to be the only one of its kind. Like, there's going to be other mountains and, and other things. So we're breaking. We're going to be aiming for like 11 world records. What's this race called? It's called the world's highest obstacle race. Oh, the, no, sorry. The world's highest OCR. Nice. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, it's not like a competitive race. It's a team kind of event. It's to say, like, I'm going up Kilimanjaro. I'm going to do an obstacle course at the top of Kilimanjaro. But they've got like a progressive build of difficulty level with the obstacles. So there's only, it's, it's, it's short. Like, I don't know if you've have you ever been at altitude before, like high. So it's another level. I've climbed, I've climbed Kilimanjaro before in 2017. You go up and you get to kind of the top of the mountain. And then to go around to the summit, I looked at it the other day. It's 700 meters. It took me an hour to get there. That's how slow you have to go. So this obstacle race is at only 100 meters in the crater, which sounds like nothing. <laughs> and it's only 10 obstacles, which also sounds like nothing. You get two hours to complete it. <laughs> because it's gonna... Yeah. This is bringing back what could have been for this summer. You've mentioned stadium races. I was meant to yeah. be in the US right now doing oh, a couple no. of uh, stadium races out there. And then hey. you're talking about altitude. I was meant to be in Boulder, Colorado training at altitude uh, right now <laughs> unfortunately this, this COVID-19 situation has hampered those plans look at it as a positive you get more time now to train for it see that's what I try and do when somebody gets postponed it's like wicked exactly. I've got some more time to train <laughs> get myself I mean, in a better condition I think that's how we're both thinking about it and yeah. during this time frame what do you think you've worked on the most have improved the most and really made the most out of your time to help you guys to help you get to the next level me I would say right now I've been super into my climbing I installed a ninja board at home to improve my grip strength and we've, we've kind of like partnered up with a, with a bouldering gym that's like 15 minutes up the road from me and I'm going there two to three times a week and I'm actually surrounding myself with some really good climbers who are helping me level up a lot. So yeah, the thing that I would say I've improved on the most is definitely climbing. I actually started free climbing just before lockdown as well, like outdoor climbing, which I'd never done in my life and it just benefits OCR so much as well. It's full body strength, but like the grip mainly and we need a lot of grip strength for Rob's racing, so yeah, climbing. I'd say. What do you think is the like the one thing you can identify or allow our audience to know that helped you unlock your athletic potential? What has really been that one game changer for you? I'd say consistency. If that fits. It's, it's consistency. Like I wouldn't have got, I wouldn't have half my five k time if I'd have only done half the training. You know, like it's just about a little bit every day. Even if you don't do a lot, just do a little bit or do something that helps you get that 0.01% better at life every day. If you do that and you do it consistently, then yeah, like it's, it's going to happen. Like I was just saying to someone uh, earlier, like I'm, I'm trying to uh, improve my strength with my foot. If I started my foot strengthening routine at the start of lockdown, I would be way better conditioned now, but I've only just started it. And I wish I'd have started it back then. Do a little bit every day or a lot, then yeah, that's, you're going gonna, you're gonna to make big differences in your life. That's been a consistent theme from guests on this podcast, consistency, over time, just chipping away. Eventually, yeah. you found yeah. your passion, you keep at it, you'll get there. George, where can people find you? How can people get hold of you, buddy? Yeah, Instagram is at George underscore crew, and crew is C-R-E-W-E, so it's E, crew with an E on the end, which is also a place in the UK. If anyone wants to email me, if anyone's interested in like OCR coaching and they want to experience training peaks, um, they can drop me an email, which is gc at innerfight.com. And yeah, you can also check out uh, in a fight OCR the Instagram for that is at if underscore OCR sweet George absolute pleasure having you on the cast mate always a pleasure talking to your man 
Thanks a lot, Thank guys. It's time, really, man. really good to, to, to come on and chat to you guys. I've not seen your faces in ages. Hopefully, I'll be able to come back to Asia and race you, you soon as well. Yeah, we want well, you back out here soon. You're out in the Middle East or something like that, right? 100%. Maybe World Champs if it goes ahead. And that, my friends, is Unlocking Athletic Potential. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. And taken something away with you to help you perfect your craft.